today and today we are concluding the series that we've been in the last several weeks that we have been calling outcry and we have been talking about our calling and our responsibility as followers of Jesus to share the gospel message in our community and it was awesome to see yesterday uh, for outcry Saturday we filled this room up we went out we got out over 5,000 invitations yesterday for Easter and uh I'm so thankful for all of you that were there and for all of you that have been praying and partnering with us. And we're believing that God's going to do something special next week. I want to encourage you, uh, be here for Easter weekend. Be here a little bit early. Bring a friend with you. How many of you have already invited someone for Easter? Anybody like that? And we'll be praying that they can come next Sunday. Also, I want to encourage you, be a part of our Good Friday service. Uh, this coming Friday at 7 o'clock, we're looking forward to having a special time together. And also tonight, of course, the Messiah and Passover uh, night. Going to be a great night tonight as well. And I'm looking forward to what God is going to do through all of these different events. Luke chapter 14 today. And we're going to start reading in verse number 15. Luke chapter 14, verse number 15. If you're ready today, would you say amen? says this, and when one of them that sat at meat with him heard these things, he said unto him, blessed is he that shall eat bread in the kingdom of God. Then he said unto him, a certain man made a great supper and bade many and sent his servant at supper time to say to them that were bidden, come for all things are now ready. And they all with one consent began to make excuse. Everybody say excuse. Leave it in the chat today online. Excuse. The first said unto him, I have bought a piece of ground, and I must needs go and see it. I just want to go look at it. I pray that you have me excused. Another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I need to go prove them. I pray that you have me excused. And another said, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. So that servant came and showed his Lord these things. And then the master of the house, being angry, said to his servant, Go, go out quickly into the streets and in the lanes of the city and bring in the, the hither, uh, bring in hither the poor and the maimed and the halt and the blind. And the servant said, Lord, it is done as thou hast commanded. And yet there is room. And the Lord said unto the servant, go out into the highways and hedges and compel them to come in that my house may be filled. For I say unto you that none of these men which were bidden shall taste of my supper. Let's have a word of prayer together today. God, thank you so much for this day that you've given us. God, thank you for just the work that you're doing in our church in this season. Thank you for every single invitation that has gone out for Easter. God, we're praying that your spirit would work in advance and that we would see fruit that remains from these invitations. And God, I pray that we would recognize that there is room for more. And it's not just about us, but it's about those that still need to hear the gospel message. And so God, I pray that we would have a heart a heart for evangelism and a heart to have an outcry of the gospel. God, I pray that you'd be with us this morning as we study your word. I pray that you would give us wisdom and discernment that we can glean uh, these truths today that would be helpful and beneficial for us. We love you in Jesus' name. And everybody said, 
Growing up, my family loved to go to Lakers games. All of my family, uh, we are all Lakers fans, and uh, we love to go to Lakers games. Some of my favorite memories growing up were at the Staples Center watching the Lakers. And uh, now my children are also Lakers fans. And that is because I am raising them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord and making sure that I'm training up a child in the way that they shall go. And so my children are Lakers fans. And uh, my youngest daughter, Blakely, she doesn't really understand what that means. And she thinks that the Lakers are just any sport, right? So we could be watching golf on TV. Yes, I watch golf sometimes. And uh, we could be watching football. And she'll say, oh, we're watching the Lakers. You know, she has, she has no idea um, what that exactly means. But uh, I loved going to Lakers games growing up. And uh, sometimes we would sit uh, way up high in the nosebleeds. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Just way up there where you need binoculars to kind of see down uh, what's going on on the court. Uh, a few occasions, my dad got us some close-up tickets. And that's always fun, sitting, sitting close up. But on one occasion... My dad surprised us, and he got us box seats at a Lakers game. And box seats at a Lakers game is a whole nother level, right? It's a whole nother experience. I mean, they bring you in all the food that you can eat in there. Uh, there are TVs in there that you can watch the highlights, more comfortable chairs. Uh, some of the best seats in the house are box seats at a Lakers game. It's interesting, as you study in the New Testament, and specifically the Gospels, the Pharisees and the religious leaders, they were very concerned and concentrated with the best seats. Uh, they always wanted the best seats in the house. They always were concerned about where they were going to sit and, and if they had a position of prominence, a position of significance. Am I going to be uh, comfortable? Am I going to be noticed? This was something that they were concerned with. The Bible says in Luke chapter 11, verse 43, Woe unto you, Pharisees, for ye love the uppermost seats in the synagogues. And greetings in the markets. They loved it. They wanted the best seats in the house. They wanted to be noticed. They wanted to be in a position of prominence. This was so woven into the fabric of their thinking and in this culture that even the disciples, James and John, had their mother go and ask Jesus in the kingdom of God, are we going to sit at the right hand and the left hand? Why? They were concerned with where they would sit. They wanted to have a position of prominence. And so in Luke chapter 14, Jesus is confronting uh, this thinking. Uh, verse number one of this chapter says that Jesus was at the chief priest's house. And so he, he was at uh, the chief Pharisee's house, excuse me. And so uh, they were there. They were kind of uh, having a meal together. And Jesus noticed that they were so concerned about the best seats and, and a position of prominence that he confronts this self-centeredness. And he gives them this parable and this lesson on humility. And he, essentially what he's saying is you cannot enter the kingdom of God because you are too proud. You are too concerned with yourself. And he says this in verse number 11 of Luke chapter 14. I want you to notice it. If, if you need a Bible today, there should be a Bible in the seat back in front of you. It says in verse number 11, For whosoever exalteth himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. And see, they were so longing for significance, but they were missing out on simple service. And so often we want the honor, but we are failing to walk in humility. And what we need to understand today is what the Pharisees did not understand is that the seat of humility actually is the seat of honor. That if we are walking the pathway of humility, then we can begin to experience the blessings of honor. And so this is something that the Pharisees, the religious leaders, they were missing, they were missing out on. The Bible says in 1 Peter 5, 5, Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Yea, all of you be subject one to another and be clothed with humility. For God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. We live in a very self-centered culture. The other day I was at the airport and I was in the, the line to uh, have a car rental. And I was there in the checkout, and the lady was helping me, and she gave me the keys for the car. And, and uh, she 
uh, gave me the paperwork, was giving me some instructions. And as she was giving me the paperwork for the car rental, she said, um, our company's doing a survey right now, and I'm in a competition, and I would really like you to give me a good review because I'm in a competition. And, and uh, she said, the first two questions are about the car rental company. The third question is for me. And then she said, and I don't care what you put for the first two answers. You can leave a zero if you want for the review for them, but just make sure that you give me a good review because I'm, I'm in this competition. I walked away from that, and I told Katie, you know, I'm not going to give her a good review because she was disloyal to her company. And a good teammate, a good employee recognizes it's not about me. It's about we. It's about us uh, collectively. And today, I believe that conversation is indicative of our culture as a whole. As long as I'm good, I'm good. As long as I'm good, it's all good. As long as I'm taken care of, as long as I have uh, the review, as long as I have the recognition, as long as I have the reward, then I'm good. But that is completely antithetical to the gospel message. Because the heartbeat of this series, Outcry, is to recognize it's not just about me. It's about those that need the gospel message. It's not about us having the best seats in the house. It's not about us having a position of prominence. It's about making room for more and recognizing that there are still more people in our cities and in our communities that need to know about the love of Jesus and need to know about the mercy and the grace of God available to them. And so we need to be able to scooch over. Hey, I'll sit on the floor. I'll serve. Hey, whatever I need to do, whatever it takes, because people need the gospel. It's a life-giving, a life-changing message. And Jesus looks at the Pharisees and the religious leaders, and he says, you're missing it. You're missing it. It's not about you and your position. It's about uh, humility. It's about people that need to know about the gospel. The Bible says in Leviticus 19.18, Thou shalt not avenge nor bear any grudge against the, the children of thy people, but thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. I am the Lord. And so are we loving our neighbor enough to invite them in, to bring them in, to share the gospel message with them? And so Jesus is teaching on this important subject of humility. And in verses 13 and 14, he makes a very important transition, and I want you to see it. Notice verse 13. If you're still with me, would you say Amen. He says in verse 13, but when thou makest a feast, call the poor, the maimed, the lame, the blind, and thou shalt be blessed. For they cannot recompense thee, they cannot reward thee, for uh, thou shalt be recompensed at the resurrection of the just. The resurrection of just. So the question that we have to answer is, what is the resurrection of the just? What is Jesus talking about here? The resurrection of the just, he was talking about eternal life. When we will live in a resurrected state with Jesus, when we will be with God in heaven forever, he, he said, he's talking about the resurrection of the just, eternal life. Now, this is something that the Pharisees understood. They knew what the resurrection of the just was because they completely thought that they would be there in the kingdom of God. They thought that they would inherit eternal life. And the reason that the Pharisees thought this is because they thought, according to my works, according to my righteousness, and all the good deeds that I do, then certainly I will be a part of the resurrection of the just. Certainly I will have uh, eternal life. Not only did the Pharisees think that they would be there, they thought that they would have the best seats in the house. And so Jesus was, again, confronting this thinking. He was confronting and, and combating this uh, self-centered idea. And, and he's talking about the resurrection of the just, but the Pharisees didn't get it. And proof that they didn't get it was basically right after Jesus says, hey, you're not going to inherit the kingdom of God because of pride. Notice what happens in verse 15. Are you with me? Notice what he says. And one of them that sat at meat with him 
So remember, um, they were all uh, together. They were sharing a meal on the Sabbath day. They were all kind of uh, lounging together. By the way, in ancient culture, they kind of just lounged during their meals together. They would actually like recline back, which I think we should kind of bring that back. Wouldn't that be nice if we just kind of lounged during meals? Like that would be great. You know, you'd go in in and out in a certain section had had recliners over there. Like who wouldn't want to sit in a recliner eating a double-double, right? Like come on, there's a Shark Tank idea right there. And so they're all kind of they're all kind of uh, lounging together. They're sharing a meal. Jesus is giving a pointed lesson saying, you're too proud. And then it was verse 15. And one of them that sat at me with him heard these things. And he said unto him, blessed is he that shall eat bread in the kingdom of God. Totally missed it. Totally didn't get it. Jesus essentially was saying, you're not going to enter the kingdom of God. And, and one very religious person, kind of like a toast, raises his glass and says, all right. Blessed is he that will eat in the kingdom of God. Sounds great, Jesus. Didn't get it. Missed the point. And so because Jesus recognizes that they're not getting it. By the way, religious people are sometimes the hardest people to reach. Because they think that they are good in and of themselves. This guy didn't get it. He thought, yeah, I'm good. I'm going to be a part of the resurrection of the just. But he missed it. And so because they didn't get it, Jesus is now going to tell a parable. The parable that we just read a moment ago. A parable is a little story with a big idea. It's an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. And Jesus is going to share this parable to confront this thinking and to teach us how we can live not just for self but with other people in mind. Are you ready this morning? I'd like to give us three ways that we can take the focus off of ourselves and onto those in need. Number one is this. We have to extend the invitation. If we're going to have a heart for outcry, if there's going to be an outcry of the gospel message, then we have to extend the invitation. Now, notice how this parable starts in verse 16. It says this, and then he said unto him, a certain man made a great supper and bade many and invited uh, many people in. Uh, The Greek word for great is megos. It means large, expansive, huge. The Greek word for supper is daphnon. It means a formal feast. And so what we have here is a great, large, expansive, formal feast. This was the banquet of all banquets. He's saying this is going to be the party of all parties. This is going to be an amazing meal together. This is going to be an amazing celebration. This great supper is something big. It's something expansive. Now, in ancient culture, they knew how to throw a big feast. They knew how to throw a big party, a big banquet. If you remember in the story of Esther, remember King Ahasuerus? He threw a party that lasted six months, right? Uh, that, that's, that's some party planning committee right there. You know, they, they need to get together for six months to throw a party. And uh, they're drinking out of vessels of gold. Uh, this was a large uh, a banquet. Now, this would have been a very royal and extravagant party. And this is something that the Jews, they live for. They, they love for this kind of, they live to be invited to a party like this. This, this, was, this was kind of a mundane agricultural society, and uh, the daily routine was just trying to get enough food for yourself and for your family. So to actually be invited to a party like this would have been the highlight of their lives. This would have been amazing to be invited by a prominent uh, person. They loved uh, something like this. Now, this party, this great supper in this parable, it's symbolic of two things that I want you to see that are very important. The first thing is this, the person, the certain man in verse 16 is a picture of Jesus. The, the certain man in verse 16 is a picture of Jesus. Notice what it says. Then he said unto him, a certain man made a great supper. Charles Ryle, he said this, Christ in one word is the sum and the substance of the great supper. Uh, so the certain man is Jesus. He is our host. He is preparing this, this feast and this banquet for us. Jesus said this in John chapter 14, verse 2 and 3. In my Father's house are many mansions, many rooms. If it were not so, 
I would have told you. I go to prepare. Everybody say prepare. Leave it in the chat. Uh, prepare. Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. And, I, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself that where I am, there ye may be also. Uh, my father-in-law, he loves to. Uh, grill and barbecue and smoke meat. And sometimes when he wants to smoke meat and he's going to have some people over, he will literally wake up at like three o'clock in the morning and uh, he'll get that pork shoulder and he'll go and put it on the smoker and uh, he'll let that thing smoke for like 12 hours. And he's constantly checking on it and, you know, checking the temperature. And uh, there's a lot of preparation that goes into that. And so when we sit down to enjoy a meal, we know that there has been hours and hours of preparation into one meal that we're going to consume very quickly. And I love that this parable and this picture of this great feast, we see Jesus as the host, that Jesus is preparing a place for us. And this speaks to his great love for you and for me, that he loves us and cares about us, that he wants to prepare a place for us. Anybody thankful that God loves us enough to say, you know what, I'm going to go and prepare a place for you, that heaven is with you in mind. So Jesus is our host. This is a picture of how much God loves us. Charles Rowell, again, to quote him, he said, as there is nothing wanting in this great supper, so there is also nothing wanting in Jesus Christ for the salvation of the soul. Christ provides a full supply of everything that sinners need in order to be saved. See, it's Jesus plus nothing equals salvation. Jesus alone is what we need. He is our ultimate satisfaction. If we're thirsty, he's the water of life. If we're hungry, he is the bread of life. See, you can have the whole world, just give me Jesus. He's everything that we need. He's the, he's the host uh, of this great feast. Psalm 107, verse number 9 says, For he satisfieth the longing soul and filleth the hungry soul with goodness. And so uh, the certain man is a picture of Jesus. Now, the place here for this feast is a picture of heaven. It's a picture of heaven. So I want to talk about heaven uh, for just a moment. In heaven, there is going to be a great feast. There's going to be the marriage uh, supper of the Lamb. This is going to be a great time, a great celebration. Uh, the prophet Isaiah put it this way in Isaiah 25 and 20, uh, verse uh, 6 through 8. He said, And in this mountain shall the Lord of hosts make unto all people a feast of fat things, a feast of wines on the lees, and of fat things full of marrow, of wines on the lees, well refined. And he will destroy in this mountain the face of the covering cast over all people, and the veil that is spread over all nations. He will swallow up death in victory, and the Lord will wipe away tears from all faces. Anybody thankful for that today, that he's going to conquer death, that he has conquered death, and that he's going to wipe away all tears from all faces? And so this is speaking of the reality of heaven and the wonderful place that is heaven, the feast that will uh, be there. And so if Jesus is the great host and the place is heaven, then we know that it's going to be a great meal, right? We're not talking about, you know, the private room at Sizzler or the hometown buffet, right? We're talking uh, a whole nother level, right? This is going to be an amazing uh, feast and celebration together. See, some people have the wrong idea of heaven. Some people think heaven's just going to be kind of a long, boring church service, that we're just going to kind of walk around wearing white robes and, you know, just doing who knows what. We have this wrong idea of heaven, but heaven is far greater than you could possibly imagine. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 2, 9, but as it is written, I hath not seen nor ear heard, neither hath entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. Nick Jonas just released a song recently. It's called This is Heaven. And essentially, it's a love song, right, about a relationship. This is heaven and how great the relationship is. And I understand the sentiment and the poetic license, but I want you to know that that is not what heaven is about. <laughs> Be very careful that we don't reduce heaven to simply an adjective for something that is good. 
Can I tell you today that heaven is a real place? That heaven is a place with no more sorrow, with no more pain. Heaven is a place where we will see Jesus face to face, that we will celebrate and worship him together forever and ever and ever. See, heaven is a wonderful place, and heaven is a real place. A place of celebration, a place where it's going to be a great party together. Martin Luther said this, I would not give one moment of heaven for all the joy and riches of the world, even if it lasted for thousands and thousands of years. Heaven is far better than we could possibly imagine. Now, now that we have an understanding of what Jesus is talking about in this parable, everybody still with me? Now that we have an understanding, okay, we have the, the host, Jesus, preparing this great supper, this great feast, notice the end of verse 16, and bade many. He invited many people to come in. What did he do? He extended the invitation. See, this outcry season, we're not just inviting people to come in for a performance. We're not just inviting people to come in because we're having a petting zoo. We're not just inviting people to come in to sit in a building. No, we are inviting people to come in to experience a relationship with the host of heaven, with the king of kings and the Lord of lords, to taste of his love, to taste of his goodness, to taste of his mercy. This is what we are inviting people to. We have to understand that heaven is a real place and hell is a real place. And so we have a responsibility to let there be an outcry and to extend the invitation to the party that will be in heaven. It's not just about us and having the best seats in the house. We've got to make room for more. We've got to invite people in. Jesus is our host. The place is heaven. And so we've got to extend the invitation. But number two today, we have to evaluate our priorities. We have to evaluate our priorities. Now, so far the Pharisees sitting there at the table that day at lunch with Jesus, they were completely on board with this story. So far they were like, this sounds awesome. We love great parties like this. We love great events like this. This big banquet sounds amazing. But then the story goes a little bit of a different direction. And now the Pharisees and the religious leaders are shocked at what happens next. Notice it, verse 17. And he sent his servant at supper time to say to them that were bidden, come, for all things are now ready. Now, this was a world without clocks, and there would be two invitations in ancient culture to a party like this. The first invitation would go out, and uh, they would just say, hey, there's going to be a party. There's going to be an event. There's going to be a banquet. We just want you to know about it. It's kind of like a save the date, but with no date. And so the first invitation would go out, and they would say, there's a party coming. And then when the party was actually ready and the food was prepared, then there would be a second invitation that would go out and say, okay, now things are ready. And so what's happening here is the second invitation goes out. All the food, all the preparations are now ready. Now you can come. Notice verse 18. And they all with one consent began to make excuse. The first said unto him, I have bought a piece of ground and I must go see it. And I pray that you have me excused. Another said, I have bought five yoke, of, five yoke of oxen and I go to prove them. I pray that you have me excused. Another said, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. And so they start to give all of these excuses. I was reading this week some of the uh, most absurd excuses for not showing up to work. One of them was, I got my finger stuck in a bowling ball, so I can't come into work. Another one was, these, are, these were true, a cow broke into my house. I'm waiting for the insurance uh, company to arrive. Uh, you know, we're great at coming up with excuses for things, right? And uh, the Pharisees in this story would have thought that this was completely absurd. This would have been shocking because nobody would have refused an invitation like this. 
If you were given the opportunity to attend a great supper, a great banquet like this, this would have been a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity, and you would have made uh, all the arrangements in the world to make sure that you were there at that party. To not come and to give an excuse was a complete breach in social etiquette. This was shocking. It was absurd. It, it, it would not have happened. And so they were listening to Jesus like, okay, no one's going to miss out on a party like this. Uh, but uh, that's exactly what they had done. Now, uh, it's interesting because while this was shocking to the Pharisees and the religious leaders, that's exactly what they had done with Jesus. Because in the Old Testament, the first invitation went out. The Messiah is coming. There is coming a Messiah. There's coming a Messiah. John the Baptist, the first invitation, was preparing the way for the Messiah. He's coming. He's coming. And then Jesus arrived, and they rejected him. And so this story is actually an indictment on the Pharisees that were sitting there that day on their rejection of Jesus. Uh, they rejected him. And they uh, give in this parable three excuses. I want you to see them. The first excuse was the excuse of possessions. The excuse of possessions. Are you still with me? Verse 18, and they all with one consent began to make excuse. And the first said unto him, I have bought a piece of ground and I must need to go see it. Uh, please have me excused. He had to go just look at his land. Like, where's it going to go, right? And uh, he said, I need to go and look at this land. See, uh, this was the excuse of possessions. Uh, I have some land. I need to make sure that, that I'm watching it. See, possessions are not wrong in and of themselves. What, but when possessions are given the wrong priority, they can become idolatrous. And so uh, this was the problem and the excuse of possessions. You know, the Bible says in 1 John 2.15, love not the world, neither the things. Everybody say things. I'll leave it in the chat today. Things. Uh, love not the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. I read an interesting story this week. Uh, there is a lady named Kate McGinley, and she is diagnosed with Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome, EDS. It's a rare condition where she is going to be paralyzed, and she needs to have a surgery in order to correct this, um, this condition. And it's a, it's a lot of money. And so what she's doing is she made news headlines because she's selling everything that she has in order to have the money uh, for this surgery. She's married. She has children. And she said this, I'm desperate to get my life back and material possessions are just that. I think we have a picture this morning. I'm selling anything and everything I can from Michael Kors handbags to my Mercedes car and my engagement rings. If it means I can pick up, uh, pick my son up and get my life back, that's priceless to me. And she made headlines because she recognized and understood that at the end of the day, possessions don't matter. They're just temporary. And it's interesting in 1 John 2, it says, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. We shouldn't have an infatuation with things and not love the things of this world. But it's also interesting that Jesus is the one that said in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, seek ye first the kingdom of God and all of these things will be added unto you. See, if we would stop becoming so infatuated with the things of this world, we would recognize that Jesus has everything that we need. And so this first excuse was the excuse of possessions. The second excuse was the excuse of occupation. Notice it in verse 19. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I go to prove them. I have some cows, and I need to go and test them out. I'm going to miss the most lavish banquet of all time, the best party in the history of the world, but I got to go and test out uh, some cows. Now, again, imagine being the Pharisees, the religious leaders that are hearing the story. They're thinking, this is absurd. This is ludicrous. No one would miss a party like this for these reasons. But this man was trying to get ahead. He had this job, and he was like, man, I need to make some money, and I need to make sure that I'm testing out these, um, these oxen. And I just want to encourage you today to not let an occupation stand in the way of the calling that God has put on your life. To not even let an opportunity stand in the way of what God has put 
in your life. Luke chapter 4, verse 16, Jesus gives us this template, this model of his, of his habit uh, to uh, prioritizing the house of God. It says, and he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up, and as his custom was, as his custom was, this was the customary habit, the keystone habit of Jesus, that he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up for to read. See, uh, Jesus made it a habit. He said, I'm going to prioritize the house of God. Can I encourage you to prioritize the house of God? Uh, the Bible still says to forsake not the assembling of ourselves together. Hey, there is something powerful that happens in the context of community. When we come together, when we strive together, when we say, hey, we are better together. And so I'm going to prioritize the worship of God and the house of God. And and I'm not going to let anything stand in the way of that. I love what Truett Cathy, uh, when he founded Chick-fil-A, he said that he was not going to be open on Sundays. And the reason why Chick-fil-A is not open on Sundays is because Truett Cathy, the founder, said, I want to be able to teach my Sunday school class. I believe God honored that decision. The Lord's chicken. They're doing great. They're doing just fine. God honored that decision. This was the excuse of occupation. But then there was a third excuse, the, the excuse of relationships. Notice it in verse 20. And another said, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. Now, this was probably the best excuse. He's like, i, I got to be honest. I don't call the shots around here. Like, I can't go. you gotta, you got to talk to my wife about this one. And the reality is sometimes relationships will keep us back and hold us back from the calling that God has put on our lives. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 15, 33, be not deceived. Evil communications corrupt good Manners, evil communications, even when we have good intentions and we want to do the right thing, if we're around the wrong people, it will bring us down. And so sometimes relationships can hold us back. And so what we see are three different excuses for why they couldn't come to this party. Three different excuses why they couldn't serve God and why they couldn't come to uh, this party. And I want to encourage you today that nothing is more important than serving Jesus. That nothing is more important than your relationship with God. And so today let's evaluate our priorities and say, you know what? I am going to seek first the kingdom of God because that is the most important thing in my life. Everything else is secondary to that. I'm not going to let these excuses stand in the way. We're so great at making excuses. But just as absurd as the Pharisees would have heard this, this, is, this doesn't make any sense. God is in heaven saying, hey, that is so secondary to what I've called you to. So we need to evaluate our priorities. You know, you make time for what's important to you. You know, if, if Daniel, if I, if I said I have two tickets to the Super Bowl, you know, and I gave the, those tickets to Daniel, I'm pretty sure that Daniel would find a way to get there, right? Like, you know, you probably have to get a hotel, probably have to uh, get some flights there. It would probably be an expensive all. But something inside of me would just think, you know, you're probably still going to make it. You're going to find a way, right? And, you know, we find a way for things that are important to us. And so we've got to evaluate our priorities. What's more important than the worship of the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords? What's going to matter in all of eternity? So we have to extend the invitation. We have to evaluate our priorities. And here's the third thought today. You have one more in you? Number three, expand your influence. God has given all of us a circle of influence, and we are called to expand that influence. Notice it in verse 21. So that servant came and showed his Lord these things. Then the master of the house, being angry, said to his servant, Go out quickly into the streets and lanes of the city and bring in hither the poor and the maimed and the halt and the blind. Now, the story kind of turns from one preposterous idea to another preposterous idea. Uh, the, fact that, uh, the fact that people would make excuses for a party like this, that was absurd. But then the fact that they would go out and invite this category of people, that was equally absurd. Because no one would invite these kind of people to a party like this. The poor, the disabled, the crippled, the blind. Uh, these were people that were far below the line of social acceptance. 
These people wouldn't be invited to a party like this. And God is teaching us to not avoid people, but to actually embrace people with his love. And to say, you know, it doesn't matter what side of the track someone is from. It doesn't matter what background they, they, they come from. God loves them with an immeasurable, incalculable love. And it's our job to expand our influence and extend that invitation. Jesus came and he began his earthly ministry in Luke chapter 4, verse 18. He said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has sent me, uh, he has appointed me to preach the gospel, to watch this, to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives and the recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty to them that are bruised. See, we need to expand our influence and ask God to reveal to us who it is that we can show love to. Who it is that we can bring in. Who it is that we can help. Now, uh, if we are going to be serious about this, this outcry season, this outcry campaign leading into next Sunday for Easter Sunday, we're going to need three things. The first thing that we're going to need is urgency. We're going to need some urgency. Notice verse 21. He says, go out quickly into the streets. You've got to go quickly. Hey, there's no time to lose. This isn't something that we can kind of just contemplate and kind of sit back. No, we're to, we're to go out quickly with some urgency. The Bible says in Mark 16, verse 15, and he said unto them, go ye into the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Acts 5, 20, go. Everybody say go. go. He says, go stand and speak in the temple to the people all the words of this life. We are commanded to go and to go with some urgency. Lifeway research shows that 48% of churchgoers say they have never invited someone to attend a church service or program at their church. Almost half of people that attend church never extend the invitation, never expand their influence. We are to go with some urgency. We're also to go with some repetition. Uh, notice, uh, notice verse 22. And the servant said, Lord, it is done as thou hast commanded, and yet there is room. Hey, can I tell you today that there is room for people at Rock Hill Church to come in to hear the life-giving and life-changing message of Jesus? Hey, when we first moved into this building, we had one service, and we decided, you know what, we need to make room for more. And so we went to two services. And I'm believing that as we grow in this building, we're going to add services. We're going to have to go to a bigger venue because we want to make room for more. It's not about us and the best seats. It's about scooting over and making room for more people to hear the gospel message. The servant comes back and he says, there's room for more. There's room for more people. And so what does he command him to do? Verse 23, and the Lord said unto the servant, go out into the highways and into the hedges. Go as far as you can. Go to the place that you haven't thought of before. Go into the highways and hedges and compel them to come in that my house may be filled. He, he says, go again. Go again. You know, there are people that I have invited to church many times that have not come, but I'm not going to give up on them. I love those stories where we're praying for someone and they have been given invitation after invitation after invitation. And finally they realize, man, I, I need to change something in my life. And they come and they experience the gospel message and they are saved eternally. Hey, hey, go again. You might think, man, I've already extended an invitation. I've already tried to invite that person. It was a little awkward. Hey, don't give up. Let us not be weary and well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. We've got to go urgently. We've got to go repeatedly. But I want you to see uh, we also not only need repetition and urgency, we need passion. Because he says at the end of verse 23, that my house may be filled. He says, compel them to come in. The word compel means to strongly urge. We can't just kind of half-heartedly say, yeah, you know, kind of if you want to, maybe. No, we've got to convince. There must be an outcry. Uh, there must be some passion to urge people to come in. Notice verse number 21. There's a phrase that I want you to see. 
He says, so that servant came and showed his Lord these things. The master of the house, being angry, said to his servant, go out quickly into the streets and the lanes of the city and bring in. Bring in. Do you see it? So we're to extend the invitation. We're to expand our influence. But then he says, actually bring them. Bring them. There's a difference between inviting and bringing. I want to encourage you this week, be a bringer. Say, you know, I'm going to extend the invitation but I'm going to be a bringer. I'm going to bring people in because I want to see lives change. And I believe that heaven is a real place and that someone can actually have a relationship with Jesus. And so I'm going to bring them in and do my part. Would you join me in standing today? I'm going to read one more verse. I want to read the last verse in the parable. Everybody still with me? Verse 24. Jesus said, he, he concludes the parable. Now remember, picture the scene. They're lounging. They're eating. He's at the chief Pharisee's house. Jesus said this, for I say unto you. Now this is different because up until this point, the story was in the third person. But now he says, you know, I want to make this very personal. And he directs his attention to the people that were in the room. He says, for I say unto you, that none of those men which were bidden shall taste of my supper. None of those men that had the invitation, that rejected the invitation, will inherit the kingdom of God because they rejected the invitation. Anyone that rejects Jesus Christ will not inherit the kingdom of God. See, God loves us so much that he sent his only begotten son to die in our place. He sent Jesus to seek and to save that which was lost. And Jesus offers eternal life. He offers forgiveness. He offers purpose. He offers hope. But if we reject him, we won't experience it. And so so today, just as Jesus concluded on a personal level, he said, for I say unto you, I want to conclude on a personal level. For I say unto you, have you received the invitation? Have you received the gift of Jesus Christ? Because the only way that we will be able to experience the wonderful reality of heaven, this great supper, this great feast, is if we receive the free gift of salvation. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. It's a free gift. All we have to do is receive it. And this is the wonderful reality of the gospel message. But if you've never received Jesus... If you've never received uh, the gospel message, today can be the day of salvation for you. You can leave these, these doors. You can leave this room. You can leave this online service knowing that you have a relationship with God because you've received the invitation from Jesus and accepted him as your Savior. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes this morning.